0: Welcome to World Oil's Oil Field Electrification Technology Podcast, sponsored by Joliet Electric Motors, powering today's oil field for tomorrow's energy. All right. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here with my partner in crime, Shane Hackenberg. And I'm here with Jim Watkins.
1: Exactly. And we're at our favorite recording studio, the Blend Bar in the Woodlands. We say at every show that we're doing it here, right? But if you haven't been to the Blend, you need to come down. Blend Bar is the place. Fantastic food for lunch. Cigars and whiskey, which we're all enjoying right now. What
0: could go wrong, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely perfect. And today we have Omar Urquides and Simon Palacio to talk about oil field electrification because they're with Burns and McDonald and that's all they're about. AKA Burns and Mac. Right, Right? Mm -hmm. exactly. So Omar, before we get started, tell us a little bit about what you do there.
2: Yeah, so I'm part of uh, Burns and McDonald's consulting division called 1898 & Co., I always make the joke that I'm a licensed professional engineer in the state of Texas, but I'm never going to stamp a drawing. (laughs) That is not my role. What we do is we do a lot of long-range planning, economic analysis, regulatory support, utility filings, things like that. So long before we thought about doing the substation or the refinery or the upgrade, someone from my team probably put together a plan.
1: Nice, nice. And Simon,
3: what's your role? I'm currently a business development manager at Burns & Mac. My background was a little bit opposite from Omar, a little bit more on the ceiling drawing professional engineering side. It's kind of where I came from. At my peak, I had 13 states. I was a professional engineer in doing projects across the country. Even though our T&D division is about kind of serving, mostly serving the utility market, there is a big, big demand and, and a wing of our, I guess, practice where we focus on industrial users or just user-owned infrastructure that you know, needs utility interconnect. So my career at Burns McDonald has been a lot more on the industrial you know, grid infrastructure side versus the utility-owned. Right. Nice. Okay. So basically the layout is Omar, you guys are the
1: planners, and Simon, you're the doers designers and builders okay that's a more
0: fancy way to say that but we like
2: I said, <laughs> they we, make it happen okay they make the magic happen exactly i have a
0: feeling that's not the first time you said that <laughs>
1: <laughs> so well to get the discussion started shane had some great questions about the state of power especially as related to the oil field and efrac in particular Shane, what were those questions
3: again
0: god you're asking a lot there jim <laughs> you didn't write them down <laughs> No, no we're all good so i mean We talked a little bit during the electrification technology show that you guys put on a couple of weeks ago, and there's a lot of impending demand on just electric frack alone. So I asked Omar specifically, I was like, you know, of the demand that's coming down a pipeline, and this is the perspective is something like by the year 2030, we're going to need six gigawatts worth of power. And I asked him, what does that look like for the entire oil field? Because I know that everything is moving towards electrification. And what was the answer to that? It's
2: there. So we look back, Winter Storm Uri, everyone mm-hmm. in the state understands what the impact was there. A lot of that was just kind of a temporal thing. We had some things go wrong in the, on the grid, so we didn't have all the power that we normally would have. But you say six gigawatts. We're talking probably more than that in Bitcoin mining coming as well. That's insane. Um, just, Bitcoin. Of, just Bitcoin. Just uh, Bitcoin. Still, even with the still? Bitcoin collapse and all that stuff. it's well, a, it's a it's doge. A, it's there, a, are <laughs> there are folks <laughs> doubling down. <laughs> there are folks <laughs> down. There are folks doubling down. There are folks doubling down. You know, so you got that, but you also have EV penetration, right? Mm-hmm. You got a changing grid from that, and you got, you know, growth. I mean, Texas is an amazing business-friendly market. People are moving here. So We're talking
0: about gas processing, too, those plants. and Oh, absolutely. So I remember the number because I was shocked. And so <laughs> selfishly, I've been going out saying, you guys better get in the horn and get your power ducts in line, per se. It was 5X. That was the number you gave me. Yep. And then I followed that up with a well, okay, so how much power do we utilize today in the Texas grid? And I think you said something like 80.
2: About 86, 87 gigawatts was peak. I think in winter storm, yours is higher than that if we would have had everything on, but yeah, somewhere around that range. Yep.
0: So that's, you know, fuzzy math here, but that's, you know, over half of our power we're going to bring online. And what amount of time is it going to take to bring that to support the current demand? I mean, what are you guys seeing with your line of work and Give us
2: kind of a crystal ball approach to this. So what we're seeing right now is a, kind of your typical chicken and egg type issue, right? So it's going to be a mix of renewables. we are going to have solar. You're going to continue to have wind. A lot of batteries going to come on. But we still need a lot of natural gas generation. That is the basis for the reliability of our grid. Sets the market price straightforward. But we have a lot of projects that are in development, right? So if you go look at ERCOT's queue, mm-hmm. you got over 100 gigawatts wow. sitting in the queue. Now, they're at different stages. Some are near shovel ready. Some are nowhere near. They're just getting started. Study phases. Yeah, study phase, things like that. But you start thinking about reciprocating engines, those can get up and moving. You know, once you get it through Mm -hmm. the supply chain, get up and moving quite quickly. Same thing with solar battery. You know, a lot of these can get installed quickly as long as they've gone through the appropriate regulations, gone through the studies, which, you know, our teams help out a lot with. So we really have our finger on the pulse. And really, it's just going to be how quickly can the industry integrate this? Mm. And ERCOD, the transmission service providers, everyone's getting together at summits, at stakeholder meetings, trying to figure out how do we improve the process? How do we make it quicker? But yeah, I have full confidence. We've got some great people in the industry really working hard at it.
0: So how much, what's the percentage of renewables that are going to be participating or be responsible for providing that power?
2: I think you're going to see the penetration of renewables continue to increase. So I would say, at I think I may be a little bit off on the number, but at certain times, you're definitely seeing over 50% of the, you know, the generation at a spot time coming from renewables. It's amazing. I mean, I remember not 10, 15 years ago, people saying, we get over 15% penetration, we're going to crash the grid.
3: Not enough inertia.
2: Yeah, not enough inertia, wow. things like that. But really, you got advanced controls. You got more improved power electronics from IBGBTs and all those getting cheaper. There's ways to do it, and there's been a lot of good people in the industry trying to figure out the best way to integrate it appropriately in the operation side, in the planning side, things like that. So I think you're going to continue to see that trend. If you say X number of megawatts per year, I would say probably 50, 60, 70 percent are going to come from renewables. What was the peak penetration that that brief window? Didn't it go like 90 percent or something? Like that no, not 90. If I had to guess without looking at my notes, probably somewhere in the 50, 60, 70 okay. range. Yeah, and we're talking about a 15 minute interval. Yeah,
1: right. And so that's like a time when wind's just going crazy right because we're a big wind producer here in texas absolutely.
2: huge number yeah, one yeah yeah
1: number one in the whole country in the country yeah wow
2: absolutely do yeah. Californians know that yeah they sure <laughs> do that's why a lot of them move here <laughs> well done
1: oh that's a, that's crazy hey everybody let me jump in here for a second just to thank our generous sponsors joliet electric motors without their support this podcast wouldn't even be possible so, for all of your oil-filled electric motor needs, whether that's new motors, refurbs, field work, whatever you need, be sure and give Joliet a call. Remember, that's Joliet Electric Motors, powering today's energy and transition for tomorrow's energy needs. Let's get back to the show. And so, then we start talking about oil fields specifically, right? I mean, the demand, like Shane was saying, that's increasing, right? And so, is... I mean, you guys probably see this in the overall market. Is it growing faster than at pace with general demand, or is it – I just don't know. You're talking about oil field?
2: Yeah, oil field demand. Yeah, it seems fast for the industry, for – I mean, the oil industry. So we talk about electrification. It's not new. I mean, we've been electrifying things out in the oil field for a very long time. But a lot of times you're talking about air compression. You're talking about kind of smaller loads. You've had that need for a while, but now – what you're talking about is large loads. You're talking about, you know, 50, 100 megawatt blocks, right? right. And so from that res- you know, that respect, it seems really big versus your, you know, 1500 kW right. connections. That is not big compared to, you know, refiners. That's not big compared to oh, subdivisions. That's yeah. not big compared to a lot of the industrial loads that we've been connecting for a long time. Really it's just a different industry getting involved and trying to do it a lot of times in a space where there's not a lot of infrastructure. Right. Right. So if you're talking about um, the Permian or even really doubling down in the Eagle Ford, I mean, these were not built for large, you know, large load centers, right?
1: Right, exactly. Now, that's fascinating. And so, Simon, on these things, right? So Omar and his team they're planning and designing these and I mean, as far as the oil field projects are concerned for, you know, setting up grids or microgrids in the oil field, is that actually starting to happen? I mean, has been you, happening, yeah, over the last but, few years. And but, the, I mean, really is interesting. It, yeah, is it picking up? Is what I should say, you know? Because obviously, there's there's been projects, right? But yeah, is so it increasing in speed?
3: I, I would say because the first, you know, how it kind of started was you get some of the large EMPs, you know, really kind of the first to it that are taking the risk, you know, trying to go towards their net zero, you know, 2050 20, 20, whatever they may be goals, and some of the big EMPs that they're starting it, and that kind of you know, there are others that see that and follow behind them. And that's going to spread between like the mid-sized EMPs. And what's really interesting, you know, as Omar said, like this isn't new, the size of loads that are being demanded, it isn't new, you know, it's just another player getting the game. But what's different about what's going on now is that a lot of these EMPs that are taking this initiative to build this infrastructure is now it's all privately owned grid infrastructure, right? You know, new, you know, residential areas and all that, like These aren't HOAs that are owning their own transmission lines, (laughs) owning their own substations, and designing their own microgrids and putting all this. But these EMPs, these oil companies, absolutely are. And they're all doing it independently of each other. You are you know, Oxys or BPs or whatever, you know, these large oil companies, they are investing in miles of transmission, you know, high voltage transmission lines and many substations and hundreds. You know, we've talked to some EMPs that own, you know, over a thousand or several thousand miles of wood pole power distribution. Wow. And so there is a huge kind of a gold rush in the T&D industry of these oil companies that are investing a lot of money in just completely building from the ground up an entirely brand new Greenfield electric grid. That's crazy. Own. Yeah, that's crazy. Because it's, 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 it's really not awesome. cheap, right? I mean, it's definitely not cheap, but it is for you know our team, electrical engineers. Kind of a dream come true. You know, as, right. as <laughs> an engineer, you get to design a. You're not you're not you know working with the utility and doing a little stub off here. Okay, we'll build one substation here. A little you know piecemeal to something that already exists. You are designing a whole new, whole new, never you know before electric grid from the ground up, and get to put all your forethought and design and new technology into doing that. And it's a very fun and interesting space for a lot of our electrical engineers that are, get to be part of that design process for the oil companies. Wow.
1: It's,
0: it's fantastic. It's kind of like being a motor guide in an electric frack space right now. It's a very exciting time. But I was thinking while you were saying that, I appreciate that explanation there. As these oil field companies or these oil companies are doing this, right, and setting up for this, how do they account for resilience and reliability when it comes to tying back into the grid and staying ahead of the curve, make sure that everything's going to be because I mean, we're talking—we are talking about large loads or transient loads. Mm-hmm. So, how do you account for all that in the planning? Just planning. <laughs> <In the laughs> planning. Isn't that planning? simple? Yeah, yeah well, it it's is. math. It's math, right? Simon? It really, it really is <laughs> planning. I spent right, a long so. time coming up with that question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. <laughs> it, it's planning um, and investing in the right technology. Planning.
3: You know, you can go the you know some of the old school way and in, in the RUS standards and just you know put some wood poles up and just get you, know, you yeah. know power something sooner. Or you can really, you know, put a plan aside. How much you know? How much load do we expect to see in the next five years growing? You know, start planning and building that robust infrastructure ahead of time. You know, backup power, reclose your smart reclosers, and getting kind of you know data analytics and communicate. You know, remote controls, everything that to automate the entire process. You know, so you can track where faults are happening, how long the faults, and and really, you know, analyzing all that, how long the the fault duration, you know, and frequency of faults and increase your reliability through planning a smart grid that way. And you're building the smart grid movement in the United States of, you know, some of the utilities are going at, they're taking an existing grid in this area. Well, how do we, you know, go back and retrofit, you know, new relays and CTs and all the pieces and parts that go into your substations and all that to make an existing grid smart. Whereas the oil companies, what they get to do is say from the ground up, let's Mm -hmm. design it to be smart as we build it from scratch.
0: Makes sense. So, so it's almost awesome. <laughs> it's, yeah, no, yeah. No, no, it's, it, it's it's exciting it's better to, talk better to you and guys. More that I mean way. you guys are gonna you guys are, you know, instrumental in, in being able to pull us off, especially with by meeting the, the timeline that these EMPs are striving for, which is, you know, twenty forty, twenty fifty, is that sound reasonable? That they want to be completely one hundred percent, you know, net carbon zero.
2: That's true. Yeah, that most of the targets there when they're trying to achieve that, they have a stack of technologies they need to employ, stack of changes, in order mm-hmm. to achieve those reductions along the way. And so oilfield field electrification, especially in high density power areas, mm-hmm. is going to be the second go. A lot of them had shovel ready type, you know, reductions, whether it be changing out their controls locally or a lot on the process side, right? The next one to go is going to be oil field electrification. How do we either convert or our new one's going to be greenfield? How do we make sure it's electrified? And that is actually gonna happen before twenty thirty. Mm. And so the goal is gonna be that twenty fifty, right? But the next guy up is oil for electrification. And so right now one of the things we're we're so we're working with a lot of operators, a lot of MPs in the planning space, right? So looking at that and number of them in the execution as well. But a lot of them are asking that question, when do I pull the trigger? Right. And the the interesting thing when it comes to it is gonna be supply chain for the temporal issues, right? Do you have something in the medium term? to get you to bridge you to grid connection and how do you get through grid connection processes fast enough because it's going to be a contest between what did you tell your investors you're going to hit emissions reduction right and what did somebody else next to you say that right so that <laughs> that 345 kv line that happens to be out there right if everyone you know goes out to their side looks at, i got plenty of wires I got plenty of power that puppy may already be loaded mm. right that puppy may already you know only have 50 megawatts left and are you the one doing that your competitors want it too they want it too and so when it comes to going back to the reliability question it's also are you going to go single point of failure right are you just going to connect to that guy or are you going to look from a holistic standpoint and say i need to connect with certain you know several sources right from the grid and temporally i got to maybe have microgrid for a while then transition things like that and then you know do i have backup? And so if I'm now connected three or four different ways and in my private infrastructure, I have the appropriate controls. I have the appropriate devices out there to switch around. I lose one source. Boom. I move it around. That's what happens at, you know, very well connected large loads. They have multiple sources because they can't go down. You're <clears> talking <throat> about a semiconductor, you know, facility, mm-hmm. you know, or a refinery. Uh,
3: right. There's a that a, black a, out at a refinery. You yeah. Can get Twenty million dollars a day. A
2: day. Thin right. Right. Down, yeah. right. So they have to look at multiple connections. So, if you just do it like, you know, I'm calling up my local, you know, 1500 KW, you know, transformer person to give me another connection, that's a fallacy of scalability, right? You think you're going to do that multiple times, you're going to roll up to 500 megawatts, it's not going to happen.
0: Right. So, I was just thinking on the, you know, the renewable side and you said it's up to 50%. -hmm. Who's responsible for the maintenance on those assets to ensure that they're producing adequate enough power to support their part of the grid?
2: So, yeah, so it goes back to in Texas. Actually, I say Texas, but in ERCOT. There's portions of, of Texas that aren't technically in ERCOT. And speaking about ERCOT, which is about 85 to 90% of the load, it's a deregulated market. So when you're talking about power generation, the responsibility of maintenance, of uptime, things like that on those assets, whether it be wind, solar, battery, natural gas, nuclear, it's on the entity that owns it. Hmm. Right. So there's not a regulator saying you must, you thou shall you know, do these exact things. Now they have general parameters for reliability. A lot of that's coming from NERC or from stakeholder meetings, decisions for the ERCOT. But, you know, like again, going back to winter storm URI, those were not regulations to have a lot of that, you know, frost protection. And if you're, you know, a private entity, do you make that decision for that one and it's in a lifetime event? And you're the only person that made that decision to go heat trace and things like that. So you've already put yourself behind the eight ball when it comes to a competitive market. Hmm. So, the same thing for renewables is the same thing we have for natural gas, combined cycle, you know, nuclear. All that is left up because of the de- deregulated market is going to be left up to the entity that owns the asset.
1: And so, Simon, like we're talking about, you know, operators running their own private, you know, electricity companies and their own grids and things. Then they're responsible for all of that. Right. I mean, there's no you can't call
3: the utility for help. Yeah. it's you're unless you're unless you're failure is at your point of interconnect with the utility or the utility itself. Anything that's downstream of, you know, the transformer that, right. that you own, that is on you. And so, you know, when we're talking about some of, you know, the oil companies that are, you know, one or 2,000 miles of distribution lines, they have to, and, and I've said this a couple times to some folks, you know, in the oil, you know, oil and gas industry is, is like, you are not just an oil and gas company anymore. Right. When you have upwards of 2,000 miles of wood pole power distribution and you're powering all the loads, you are an electric utility for your company. Right. And you are your company's electric utility, and you have to think that way. Right. You have to, you know, model your system that way. You have to have, you know, a spare part inventory and maintenance programs and everything to operate like an electric utility wing of your own company, which may be a, you know, insert major oil company name here. Right.
2: And that's a major mindset change, right? Because for a long time, capital spent on pipes in the ground, on getting hydrocarbons out of the ground, right? And, you know, whatever's necessary to get electricity to do those small things. And so what you have to start thinking and what companies, and the first thing we say is, do you understand you're building utility? Like, you need to understand that wow. and everything that comes along with that. And so it is the regulatory scenario. It is your asset management. It is your inventory strategy. It is your planning it is your reliability. You know, like so, utilities have all these portions of their organization stood up to figure out what am I doing six months from now, what am I doing twelve months from now, what happens if something happens, what am I doing a week from now? Yeah, folks have to start to build those organizations and be ready for that. If if so, in order, order, you can call the utility, say, fix my pole. Yeah, right. So, in order to get there, they have to plan a strategy. What is my organizational competency? Like, what, what can I do internally, and who do I have to start partnering with? Right, So really, we are in the space that is a little bit different than five years ago or even two, three years ago. It's about having the right partners, whether it be a supply chain, in engines, in motors, and asset management, so that you can do it correctly for the long-term success. Otherwise, if you're just waiting around for an RFP or to get it out to the street, you're going to be behind the eight ball and everybody's going to get there before you.
1: Right. So, And you guys, in what you're doing, I guess, Simon, more on your side. So when you see these being built out, is that the approach that the operators are taking, or are they taking different approaches? Because to be an oil and gas operator and all of a sudden say, okay, now I need basically a utility division and everything that goes along with that, that is a huge mindset change, like Omar was saying. So do you see them adopting that, or are they more shopping that out to third
3: parties? They're obviously different. Not every oil company is the same. We work with folks who are a little bit more advanced in the space, who are you know trusting partners and, and developing this ahead of time. We work with some folks who started with a, we're going to do everything ourselves and we know everything. We know how to do everything right. And then, <laughs> you know, a couple of years later, then they're like, ah, we're having outages here and there. We don't know where, how long, what caused it. And then we, how do we get people to go fix it? They're not thinking like an electric utility. Like I was trying to say, like if a car crashes by the electric or one of the wood poles outside your house and you have a power interruption in your house, you can call the electric utility. They're out there, they're all out there with a the bucket truck and they go out there and fix it right away. Mm-hmm. But as an oil company, if you're running, power lines across roads and highways and everything to power your fields if there's a car accident and it takes out one of your you know power lines what are you going to do to roll you know roll out there and restring new wires and put in a new pole and get you know service restored right away I mean, are you going to have that in house? You can, you know, have, have you set up for that? Do you, do you have right. bucket trucks ready to go? Do you have, you know, a, a team just, you know, can build distribution lines on the fly? Do you have a partner that you have a contract with that can go out there and do that and respond? You know, how, what's that rollout time? Do you know how to identify where that, lo- you know, the location right. is? So there are folks that are definitely doing that smarter by taking that mindset of being an electric utility, and there are folks who just kind of build it and say, okay, it's good, and right. then there's an ice storm comes and they have an outage <laughs> over here, and they, well, we we didn't. <laughs> We didn't plan to have an ice storm. Well, of course you didn't plan to have an ice storm, you know. you you haven't haven't been an electric utility long, long, and you haven't really identified yourself as being one. So, you know, Centerpoint here in the area, they know how to deal with an ice storm that comes through, even though it doesn't happen very often in Houston, but they plan that way. Right. Oil companies need to start doing the same, and there are some who do, and some who are learning that the hard way. Right. But you guys aren't – if somebody – declined
1: your help in the beginning and said, Hey, I know how to do everything. I'm going to do it myself. And then they start having these problems. They can still call you and you come and rescue them. Right. Absolutely.
2: absolutely. So that has occurred, right? Some folks took a strategy they thought was the best at the time with what they knew. And that's, you know, we're always supportive of that. Put it in first. We try to describe later. We try to describe, you know, what could happen, what we've seen in the industry. And some folks, you know, prefer to learn it on their own. And that's understandable. But we've some of the most successful engagements have been where they've learned, you know, that lesson on a smaller scale, and then say, "Hey, you know, we really we're looking to do it better on the larger build out, right?" And so we have a a very good partner that we've been not only planning for, but have been executing for in the space, putting steel in the ground, things like that. That I think is one of the best in the nation at doing this the right way, and have migrated to now. I need to have this planning team across pollination, right? I need to think about. How do I have a partner, but also start to bring in internal, you know, resources to organically build that expertise for a long-term strategy. I mean, these are assets gonna be in the ground for 30 years. Right. right. Someone who's gonna own that play for that long needs to start thinking that way. So well, we don't intend to operate by any means for 30 years. We're there to consult and get them that way. So sometimes it is a contracting strategy with folks that go and build and you know, operate these, you know, go fix it when somebody runs into it, things like that. We help consult them through that. And then as necessary, help to build their internal expertise to build those things at the right times.
3: Oh, ah, okay. So sometimes but, it's wait, wait, simplest standards. You know, it's like, okay, right, what, yeah, what set exactly. of standards
2: are you going by? When you call somebody and say, Hey, this is this
3: is down when you fix it, you know, by what set of standards? Well, we don't have a set of internal standards. You know, well find me an electric utility in the, in the country who doesn't have <laughs> a set of standards for pretty much everything they do. You, can right. tell you like, an oil company, like, okay, what standards are you using? Well, we don't have standards. It goes Okay, through. well step one, let's start
0: Yeah. <laughs> well it goes and it goes to being for having the foresight to to have scalable and have the right controls in place to ensure that redundancy and ensure that uptime, correct? I mean, that's Absolutely. probably one of the most important. I mean, the hardware is one thing, the interconnects and all that stuff, but it's really the controls that make the magic happen.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. We've been lucky to go on a journey with some good partners in the space and operators that have realized, hey, how am I going to control this the right way? Right. And we're not just talking about you know a flow meter that goes into a SCADA system that somebody checks eventually. Right. right. We're talking about something that needs... Higher resolution, whether it be harmonics or what right. tripped at what time, things like that. And then how do we get signals back out there? And then here's the other kicker. How do we make sure that all those points of communication and information are secure?
1: Well, uh, yeah, that's yeah. a big deal, right? I yes. mean the, right. the whole yes, cybersecurity sir. thing yes, is sir. when you electrify yep. and you start tying stuff to some kind of intranet or internet mm-hmm. to put it back, you're opening yourself to a lot of exposure there. Right? And,
2: and that's where we're excited to utilize the experience that we've had with utilities for you know 50 60 70 years right they have those devices out there already there's reclosers all up and down mm-hmm. your areas that have communication back and forth capacitors things like that it's not new right. right it's really just a new mindset for a different industry and so we're lucky to say hey this is how you know an encore does it a center point does it and then you know what do you think would make them best for your organization And what are you going to stand up? You know, so there's, you know, the ADMSs, the DMSs, OMSs, management systems, operator management systems, advanced distribution management systems, distributed energy management systems. And those are true and, you know, tested within the industry. What we're helping folks is figure out what is the right one for you. Right. You don't have to have the one with all the bells and whistles, but you have to have something that has more visibility than your typical SCADA system. Right. And then Simon, when you design these things, so on your side, like you
1: guys do the design, but you don't do the construction you do the construction too yes, right you do. yeah 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 mm-hmm. so you'll design it and construct it for them and then like omar was saying you help them learn how to run that properly with their we, own in-house expertise. we have or? done that yes we ah, have done okay that.
3: Yeah. we are engineers but fundamentally burns mcdonald is a construction company i mean engineering and construction big on the construction as we are a full service epc right,
1: right yeah that's
3: kind of our bread and butter is to go in as a partner and say this is our dream. This is what we want. This is the, our final product And we have the you know the expertise you know from guys like Omar and their team to say okay, well, well how do you want? It? How are we going to get there? What are the economics for? When do you need to do? It? What is the planning? What does it have to look like? And then from there through you know design and then all the way through construction, testing, commissioning, checking out, you know, running it all. Everything's in spec from how you got things from the manufacturer tested right. You know coming from that and then operation. You know, how do you operate it? And, right. And yeah. Turning it over, turnkey. Here you go. Here's your private electric grid. (laughs) Have fun. Take it for a spin, right? (laughs) So in some of those
2: engagements, you know, so we have folks internal, not only just been, you know, engineering, procuring and construction, these things, but are from the industry and worked with the industry, right? Some have been the operations managers of large portions of large utilities. So they're able to come and say, hey, here's your typical maintenance strategy. You need to be ready for this, either in a contracting or building your own folks. Why can we say that? It's because we've had folks who've actually done those things, mm. right? Who've been managers, and so really relaying that information, preparing them for it, is what we've been playing in the space as well. Because it's not just here's your uh, here's your <laughs> substation.
1: Good luck, man. Right. Uh, exactly. I hope, I hope you know how
2: to where the switches are, and here's the keys. Because we want to be that long-term partner at Burns McDonald. Ninety percent of the work that we do every single year is repeat customers, because we're going to focus. We're going to get that person, make sure they're successful that client in everything they do, which is why, you know, the combination of the EPC arm, which is by far the largest portion of our company with 1898 and co is pure consulting. We're just there for all the other pieces, right? Right. Cybersecurity, whether it be planning, whether it be, you know, asset management, your enterprise integration of software, you know, these are all different things, you know, that you need to do to run a business to be successful. Are you going to have the right reporting? So here's the thing, you spend all that money are you getting, you know, the emissions reductions you expected? Right? right. How do you present that to the street and get the credit that You've you You've got to collect a lot of data? You've Got to collect a lot of data to do it right away. Yeah, Real time right?
0: data. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I
2: yeah. guess that's
0: where the controls kind of come back and help you interface
2: with. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And here's the thing. Is you can have an asset out there for six months. Somebody turns around and said, "All right, I'm ready to make that report." Oh, we didn't have the data. But well, <laughs> why, why not? Well, you know, it's a lot cheaper to build it without. You know, fiber and the average wind speed
0: was six and a half miles per hour. I mean, isn't that enough?
2: You know, (laughs) yeah, it it costs a little bit more to get that meter out there and the communications backbone and all that, you know, to improve uptime. All those things did cost money up front, absolutely. But that's why we try to project out what is the savings, what is emissions reductions over a 30 year time frame, not just, you know, what is that one cost of that asset.
0: So maybe here's a stupid question, but consider the source real quick. All right. So what happens in 30 years? You just got to go in and rebuild and repair. And that's just the life cycle of those assets combined out there. So what happens?
2: So actually, typically what you'll find, unless there's another technology breakthrough, which I have full confidence in the oil and gas industry to continue to innovate, bring additional technology to get more hydrocarbons out of the ground in the same exact location. We saw it with fracking. Mm -hmm. We saw that. So, Horizontal drilling. Absolutely. So places where my dad, I mean, I'm born in Odessa next to an old Derrick. (laughs) <laughs> um, and my dad, my family's been out in the oil field working in very different technology than same exact field. Right? Right. So I don't want to say in 30 years it won't be there. But what folks are looking at is if I do have an asset that I'm going to be pulling hydrocarbons in the next 30 years, that's actually a shorter lifetime than most utility infrastructure. Mm. You look at the stuff around here or in the Northeast, some of the first <clears throat> the, you know infrastructure they built in electricity, we're talking about 100 years old. Wow. Right. So really, it's just about the interim continuing to do the right maintenance, the right clearing, the right protection, the right update, which is why inventory and asset management matter so much. It's going to be up and running longer than more than likely they're going to be pulling hydrocarbons in the area. That makes sense. Maybe I didn't
0: ask that question the right way, but you answered it the right way. That's for sure. Read your mind. (laughs) Yeah, man, that's Perfect. All right, guys. I wish we could go on
1: because I think we got another half hour in this, might, but, it but we got to cigar's no, getting man. short, right? Yeah, my, my cigar's getting short. And my <laughs> glass is getting empty. No. <laughs> but this is fantastic. I, I really appreciate you guys coming on and being able to talk about this. And who knows, in the future, maybe we'll get you guys back on and continue the conversation because... I'm just in my head. I have a ton of questions, right? That I yeah. could ask you. So can you be here at the blend? <laughs> yes, definitely. This is this is the recording studio. Look at it; That's it's it. beautiful it's here, a right? Good idea, yeah. No, good idea. I,
2: no, I appreciate it. Thanks for the time, and we'd be happy to come back. I think it's conversations like this, folks, understanding. It's really going to make this phase of our industry more successful. Right. So. This is just this is just a different phase of what we've done. You know, we got the right people, got the best folks involved, and we're excited to be part of that solution.
1: All right, Shane, anything else? Any rep? I always cut you off and I never get you to let you ask that last question.
0: I get the opportunity to listen to you guys talk. And so it allows me to think, which sometimes is a scary thing. So, I mean, at the end of the day, if you are looking to electrify, it's a good idea to start acquiring some power. Is that correct?
2: No, absolutely. There you go. Absolutely. Yeah. It's got to be generated somewhere if you're going to use it. Right. And so it takes long term planning, it takes the right planning. It takes partnerships with those who know how to plan it, with those who have the assets, who've secured it. So right now it's a security game. Yep. Like, do you have your finger on a transformer? Right. Do you have yep. your finger on that generation? Right. And so finding that right partnership is the most important at awesome. this time. Perfect. Good deal, guys. Well, thanks
1: again, Simon, Omar. And like I said, we'll have you back for sure.
0: Yeah, sounds like we need to. <laughs> There's a lot more to learn. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for being on. Absolutely. Cheers, Thank sir. you. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's guest. If you have any questions related to today's episode, please email us at oetpodcast@worldoil.com. at worldoil.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Joliet Electric Motor that's been providing an engineered custom motor solutions for the oil field for over 30 years. If you have any questions related to your motor needs, please email me at shaneh at Motors.com.